It's our last week not in 1 Corinthians. Um, the last week of I wish he hadn't said that. Next week we will be in 1 Corinthians 7, which is, um, in my opinion, one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible to preach. Um, so it's not an excuse not to come next week. But you, you can be praying for God's leading in that. It, is, it just doesn't set up well, but I, I try to preach God's word, not my opinion. So we're going to go through it chapter by chapter and see how the Holy Spirit works and the Holy Spirit leads. Today, though, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. And um, you know, to set the stage for it, there are a lot of words we've lost the meaning of in our culture. Um, for example, the, the word believe. If you ask the average Joe or Jane, um, if they believe in God, what are they going to tell you? So according to John 6.47, that means they're saved. Do you know that? Do you know what John 6.47 says? It says, whoever believes has eternal life. So someone says, I believe in God, they have eternal life. Can't be. You know why? They don't know what believe means. Take another word like, like faith. You, know, you ever have people ask, are you a person of faith? What the heck does that mean? We, we've lost focus of that word. You know, faith and belief, they're synonymous with trust and obedience. To believe in God means you trust and you obey him. You take another word like hope or love. You know, dirty little secret, you can't fall out of love and you can't fall in love. Do you know that? Love is, isn't a feeling, it's, it's an action. Well, there's another word that we've lost focus of that I want to look at today. And it's the word church. Do you guys know what a church is? It's not a place you go. It's not a building. It's something really, really crazy. And you may not want to hear this. You may not want to hear what Jesus has to say about this. But the context of what we're going to look at in, in Mark 3 deals in part with how we've lost understanding of the church. So, Mark 3, verse 31. This actually starts a little bit earlier. It starts in, in verse 20, but I'm not going to read it from you all the way from down, down from 20. I'll read the text, we'll start to unpack it. So, it says, And his mother, Jesus, and his mother and his brothers came... And standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So here's what's happening. Jesus has been really, really busy. He's running around, he's performing miracles, he's teaching, he's not eating right, he's not sleeping right. And if you have a Jewish mom and you don't eat right and sleep right, your mom will come and rescue you. Because you need your rest, you, you, you need to live right. So Jesus and his family heard about that back in verse 20. It says, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. So now we have this travel break from 22 to 30 in the text. Mark sets it up so, you know, while his, his family's coming to get him, there's another event that takes place. His family shows up, and they come to rescue him because Jesus was out of his mind. Now, what does Jesus say when his, his mom and his brothers show up? He says, hey, I'm over here. I'll be with you in a little bit. Is that what it said? You see what he said here? It's, 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 it's absolutely crazy if you slow down and look at it. He says, who, who are my mother and brothers? 
Step out for a side note here. Jesus had brothers. Did you know that? The majority of people in the context of where we live are taught in the Catholic Church, Jesus had no siblings. Mary was a perpetual virgin. That, that she and Joseph had, had a, um, an awkward marriage where Joseph was not permitted to, to get too close to her because Mary was, was sinless. Mary was perfect. In, in the Catholic Church, I think they called it a co-redemptrix, that she played a role in salvation. Well, the biblical teaching is very different. The biblical teaching is Jesus didn't actually have brothers and sisters. He had half-brothers and half-sisters. You understand that? They had a different father. But Mary had a normal marriage to Joseph, and in the course of that normal marriage, it was God's will that she would have the ability to bear and conceive and, and give birth to children. And you actually see this in Scripture in, um, in John 7, I'm sorry, Mark 6, um, you get the names of some of Jesus' brothers. In Matthew 13, you see that Jesus also had sisters. So why do I mention that to you? Um, in Jude, in Jude 3, it tells us that one of our, our roles as believers is to defend the faith. If we see anything taught that runs contrary to Scripture, we have a God-given obligation to defend the faith. So if someone is teaching lies that run contrary to Scripture, we need to speak up. It's just a side note for you, but, but understand there's, there's great danger in what a lot of people are fed under the, um, the pretense of being biblical truth when it's not. Um, Luke 1, you will see that, that Mary recognized fully she was a sinner separated from God in need of a Savior. Re- read, read what she says there in Luke 1, 40, um, 46 to 55. Jesus' siblings didn't believe in him. Could you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? Jesus hit me! Mary's like, yeah, right. He did! Yeah, you're always a goody two-shoes. You don't do anything wrong. You know, and Jesus is like, hmm, you're right. That, that older brother said, I'm perfect, literally. His, his siblings somehow, I don't know how you grow up with Jesus and you don't believe that he is who he says he is, but they didn't. We, we see that in John. That was the John 7, 5 passage I almost quoted a little too early. Later on, his siblings, we don't know about all of them, but we know some of them at least came to believe in him. One of them is named Jude, and the Holy Spirit used Jude to write a book. And if you read the beginning of Jude, it has a very interesting beginning. Jude doesn't say, I, Jude, the brother of the Lord. Give a read to how Jude introduces himself. But back on to our text today. Mary and and the brothers show up, perhaps his sisters were there, and they came to rescue Jesus. And Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers? And then he does something. He looks around is what happens here, and he sees his disciples. And he says regarding his disciples, do you, do you see how crazy this is? He says, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is crazy when you stop and think about it. When you look at me as a fellow believer, do you know what, what we are? Siblings, literal siblings. Jesus is saying more so than those physical ones that you were born of by blood. This is, this is crazy. As we come into the holiday season, you know, people tell me that holidays are a season for family. What the heck does that mean? It's what we do, don't we? get together with family at the holidays. But Jesus is saying, now hold on a minute. Think about who your family really is. Now this gets uncomfortable. 
Because you don't necessarily get to pick and choose your family, do you? Danielle might be an only child if she could pick and choose her family, right? She might say, you, you three out. You know, I'm going to replace you with some other. You don't get to pick and choose. You're just kind of born into a family. Well, Jesus is saying something crazy here. He starts with, let's start with this. Let's start with the fact, the fact of spiritual family. We do have biblical obligations to our nuclear family, our physical family that we're born into. First Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So Jesus is not saying, you know, Mom and, mom and brothers, I have nothing to do with you. Clearly he can't sin. He has responsibilities and obligations. But he's saying, my primary family, you see what's going on here? The most important family to me isn't that lady and those guys. It's these followers, these people who do the will of God. Now, now this is uncomfortably crazy. Jesus is saying that we need to, we need to love our, our nuclear families, but we can't allow our nuclear family, our physical family, to influence away from the will of God. His mom shows up. Why does she show up? Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Jesus was doing the will of the Father. And what was Mary and Jesus' brothers trying to do? Stop him from doing the will of the Father. Now, it's not like Mary said, hey, guys, come here. Your brother's lost his mind. Let's, let's stop him from doing God's will. Let's go distract him and, and you know, try to convince him it's wrong and we'll tempt him into disobedience. She actually thought she was doing what was best for her son, didn't she? She was concerned. She was a good mother. She understood who Jesus was. It wasn't like, you know, Mary forgot. But that's what Jesus is saying is, you all have no idea what you're doing. You, you can't actually love me if you don't first love God. So his brothers didn't believe in him, so they couldn't do what was best for Jesus. They couldn't properly love him. And Jesus says, says who are my mother and brother and sisters? So watch this. The first part's exciting, the privilege. You see that here, the privilege and the proof? One, and I'm talking in the household of God here. To be in the household of God implies to a degree that you understand who you are in Christ, right? We're adopted. We're children of God. We, we're able to call God Abba, Father. Ephesians 1.5. Ephesians 1.5 is a beautiful verse. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He chose us before the foundation of the earth to adopt us as his children. Do you, do you see how, how, that, how crazy that is? Or, or another verse here in, in Galatians 3.26, it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Remember we talked about what it means to be sons, how it was the firstborn, the, the inheritor of the estate, that, that primogenitor role. So it, it's not a, a sexist comment that women will become men and be called my sons. No, it's, it's dealing with the, the inherited rights. Now, does anyone here dislike these biblical truths? You can call God father. You're, you're inheritors. You have access to the throne room of God. Um, John 8, 44 tells us that, that he took us from the family of the evil one and made us into his children. You were, you were children of the devil, the father of lies, right? But we were adopted. Uh, Galatians 4, 6 through 7. Um, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Th this, is, this is crazy. We, 
We were separated from God for all of eternity. God chose to forgive us, to reconcile us, and to adopt us, so he is actually our father. Like, do you understand the reality of that? When you look up the sky at night and you see the stars, you know who made the stars? Your dad. When you look at the trees, who made the trees? Your dad. You know who makes the world spin and, and made the universe and holds the clouds in the sky and keeps the waters where they are? Your dad. Your dad is strong and powerful and sovereign and amazing. And if he is for you, who can be against you? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Now there's a but on the back end. Because for some reason, God gave us this messy family to live in. Now, I would love if, if God said, you're sheep, but you're sheep designed to live by yourselves because other sheep annoy you, so I want you to just live in isolation of other sheep and don't just leave other sheep when they frustrate you and, you know, just do whatever you want because family's messy. You know, everyone holiday season. Danielle, pay attention here. Enjoy the last couple good ones. Now, here's why. After age 20, the holiday stink, right? Because you get, you get grandma and grandpa calling in, your siblings, and come over here, come over there, go over here, well, let's do that. And she's like, you know, Danielle, pay attention, enjoy these. You're like, oh my gosh, I hate the holidays. And then you all get together, you dress up, and you're like, hello, it's so nice to see you. You know, and then you get that one relative who's not here today, fortunately, whose kids are like, <coughs> And you're like, oh, Lord, we're going to have the two-week flu after this. And, and, and family stinks. And if it weren't for the fact that you were stuck with them genetically, you'd be tempted to say goodbye. Right? Wouldn't you love at times to walk away from your family? Dorothy, don't smile at me. And unfortunately, we live in a culture where people do do that, right? Yeah? But God, do you know God designed the family structure? It didn't just happen by chance. For some reason, God made families. God made families for who knows what, what purposes and fullness, but one of which is to point forward to the spiritual family. Do you know the institution of marriage is a God-given institution? Do you know the institution of marriage points towards the relationship between the church and Christ? Do you know that? It's not the other way around. The family, that messy, dirty, annoying... What are you laughing? Well, that's what God gives us in the church, doesn't he? And he says to us some crazy stuff. He says, hey, you, you're my child. You, you're my child. Guess what? Yeah, you're related now. And you all need to, I think he says this in here, doesn't he? Love one another as I have loved you. By this they will know what? That you are my disciples, a.k.a. That you are my friends, a.k.a. That you are truly brothers and sisters. And messy, isn't it? Messy. I like the big church. You know why? Hi. Oh, Patty, good to see you, Patty. Everything good? Wonderful. Hi. You know, we used to go to, we used to go to a very large church, and you remember this, Lord? They'd say, greet the person next to you. And I, I, first of all, I don't like making physical contact with people, right? So I'd, be, I'd just be, I'd be sitting there like this. I, like, but I don't know you. Why are we going to play these games? The gist is okay. But when we get together for the holidays in my family, you know, it's not like, it's not like the, the matriarch or the patriarch says, family, everyone greet one another. Is that how it goes? You know, everyone is gathered here for Thanksgiving. Go ahead and greet your, greet your brothers and sisters and cousins. And Is that how it goes? No, because it's family. This is supposed to be a messy family of stinky sheep made one in Christ. Now, now look at this, and here's what's so important. 
The first thing you got to understand is the proof. The first thing, if you want to destroy a church, is make membership too easy. Do you know what the, the, the most important membership requirement to any church is? Yeah. Do you know how hard that can be at times to tell, yet how easily churches make it for non-believers to become? We have a statement of belief on the website. The devil can read that, and he'd be like, I, I affirm it all, I'm good with it. And in most places, you know what happens? Well, why don't you come in for a membership class, just go ahead, you're a member now. Then you got all, all sorts of wheat and tear mixed up, sheep and wolves mixed up. But you can identify a believer to an extent by what? What does Jesus say? Who are his brothers and sisters? Whoever does what? The will of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to look at each other like, Renee, how'd you do obeying God this week? Are you really a believer? You know, because if you love Jesus, you're going to obey him. You know, and I'm keeping attendance up here now. And once you miss week 12, you know, liar, get away, right? No, but understand this. We need, this, this is why it can't be too easy, but it shouldn't be too hard. The household of God is an institution that God has entrusted to us. It's a family that needs to be very aware of who's a real family member and who's not. And it's not that hard to tell, truly. You will be deceived by many. You can't know the hearts of one another. But the basic entrance into the family of God is a miraculous work of regeneration. You are a child of mine, and there are certain things you can see that identify a believer from a non-believer. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, right? If you, if you walk in progressive, uh, uh, increasing obedience, if you have a desire for the things of God and, and self-shrinks, and you know, it doesn't happen on a normal trajectory, but, but if you have no growth over 20 years and you don't care, well, there might be something wrong, and we're not truly loving that person. But, but back to the focus here. Jesus gives us this wonderful gift in this, this privilege of being able to call him brother, for him to call us friend, for us to be able to cry out to God, Abba, Father. But in so doing, he gives us the serious obligation. We have God-given responsibilities to one another, and that's messy, and it, it, it will mess up your plans at times. It could ruin, ruin, your, you know, ruin your, your plans for the coming year, because family can mess up your plans. But this is the family that God calls us to put first and foremost. First and foremost. First Corinthians 12, we'll get there at some point, talks about the church as a body. You know what that means? We all have unique gifts that God's entrusted to us to work collaboratively with one another. The fact is, I need you, and you need me, and we all need one another. Otherwise, we run around like a bunch of thumbs. What, what does a thumb do by itself? Just, you know, it's all it can do. It can just move down the aisle. Or you got a toe over here, you know? Ah, eh, and you got a spleen laying off in the corner and an eyeball that's just, I can't move, I can't move. So you have a whole bunch of genuine body parts that refuse to function collaboratively. Jesus is saying, would you all get your act together? Eyeball in the socket, skull get over here, toe get back on the foot, thumb on the hand, and look at me. You're a toe. Act like a toe. Well, I want to be the eyeball. Isn't that what we do? I want to be an eyeball. Well, you weren't made to be the eyeball. And the eyeball, I don't like being the eyeball. I have to look. We'll just knock it off. <laughs> Jesus is saying, whoever, look, th this is not my mother and brother and sister. This 
These who do, and think about who he's talking about. These messed up, weak faith, disobedient, whiny brats are my mother and brother and sister. These people who actually probably like me better, who care more about me, who are not going to leave me. No, these are my more important. Do Do you see how crazy this is? Do you understand what's going on here? We cannot function well independently as believers. You simply can't. I have tried it um, during my seminary years. I, I tried it very well. You know why? Well, I was smart. So I, you know, listen, keep this to yourselves. I don't need to be around other believers who don't know as much as I do because what are they going to do for me, right? <laughs> like, seriously? I, I, I'm like, this person's over here. They're like, Where, where's the book of Hezekiah? I'm like, dude, it's not even a book in the Bible. So, I'm obviously a more mature Christian. I don't need that person. You know what? It's called pride, arrogance, right? I need that person, and that person needs me. And do you know what happens? You can get a lot of knowledge in your head, but you know what knowledge does, Paul says? Puffs up. You know what happens when it gets puffed up? Pride, right? God loves prideful people. God God loves the prideful and opposes the humble. Wait, no, it's not that, is it? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I am convinced that one of the devil's most powerful tools in our culture today is to convince us that we don't need each other, that this isn't a family, and you just go ahead and do what you want with it. Do you see that? You know, and I don't know know the whole story of what goes on with everybody, but this is is how the Lord works. I'm going to just start preaching things that I like that are comfortable passages because everything goes more smoothly. You'll notice over the past couple of months, we have some bodies that have been missing consistently, don't we? Do you know what? We need those bodies, and those bodies need us. But it's so easy for us to just be like, oh, well, you know. Jesus talks about when one part of the body hurts, the others hurt too, right? Well, how come we don't hurt so much? When, when, when one part grieves, the others grieve alongside. If I get a phone call from my mom that something traumatic happened, it, it affects me because that's my mom. If I get a call from, from my sister, says she needs help with this, that, or whatever, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to help her because she's my sister. My family's well-being ties into my well-being because we're connected. You know how we're connected? By blood. Do you know what Jesus says? Yeah, but the greater family is connected by blood too. It's connected by the blood of Christ. So we live in a culture now that says church is just a place you go to consume things, to, to get for yourself, to, to learn, to participate in programs, to hang around at a distance people that you like in a similar stage in life. And then when you get tired of them, outgrow them, or, or feel like it's just not as exciting anymore, you know what you do? You go find another church and you hang out with them. Now, what kind of sick thing would it be if I got a knock on the door and some 14-year-old kid shows up? I'd like to join your family. Well, come on in. Yeah, where do you want to live? Tell me your name. It's nice to meet you. On you move into that room over there. We'll get you set up. I'll be sick. Do you know what I should say? Well, uh, nice to meet you. Um, where are you coming from? Well, well, I hate my mom and dad, and I'm leaving. Oh, why do you hate your mom? They won't let me go out drinking. Do you know what I'm going to do? What's your mom and your dad's name, please? Well, let's go talk to your mom and dad. I'm going to bring that kid back home because that kid needs someone to love him. But what do we do? We make it so easy. Oh, hey, welcome in. Have a seat. Never asked where'd you come from. How'd you end up here? What's going on? This may be a genuine believer. 
It may very well be a genuine believer, but you know what they're saying? Oh, those people annoyed me. They poked too tight. Hmm. So I'm going to come over here. And, and you see this all the time. Guys, we can't grow if we do that. We need to lovingly live alongside each other. You say, well, that might be messy. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> one, of the, one of the greatest things, one of the hardest things being a pastor is the emotional investment you have in people. I, I wish, now, don't get me wrong. I don't love you all perfectly. We're living on the wrong side, of, wrong side of eternity for that. But I do love you, and I do have your back, and I do want what's best for you, and I pray for you, and I think about you, and I'm concerned for you, and I desire that you come to know God as well as possible. I really do. And when you see people come and go so easily that just don't give a rip, either about their relationship with God, or their relationship with their brothers and sisters, it, it's, it's emotionally taxing. But you know what? I refuse to give in to that. I refuse for this to become a, 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 a job. I refuse to allow us to ever become a place where we simply just look to pack in whosoever may come, just so that they're here and we can, at a distance, hang out with them. Because that's not what Jesus says, is it? Who are my mother and brothers and sisters? God made us to live together for the purpose of caring for, equipping, and encouraging one another. There's this passage in Hebrews, right? Hebrews 10. And in Hebrews 10, it talks about, right before, it talks about not neglecting to meet together regularly. It says, I think in 10.23, that we're, our purpose with one another is to encourage one another to press on in, in, the, in the works that God's prepared for us. Do you see what's going on here? This is... You don't have anyone in your life, if, you're, if your blood family, your nuclear family is made up of non-believers, they simply do not have the ability to truly love you. I'm not saying that your mom never liked you. What I'm saying is they cannot walk alongside you and help you do what is best for you. They simply can't. They're spiritually dead. They will have your back. You know, they, they, they will. If I, my parents aren't believers. But if I have a need, I call up my dad. My dad will take care of me. You know, it, it's, a, it's a comfort to know that. If I'm sick and need help, they'll be down here as fast as the car will go. They, they, are, they are people that I know I can trust and depend on and who love me. They, they really do. But as far as love in the sense of helping me walk in the will of God, they will never serve that capacity. In fact, they'll serve the opposite capacity because they do not have a relationship with God. So when, when, when God was, was calling me into into uh, the pastor and I was going off to seminary. Do you know what my parents' counsel was? That you're out of your mind. Do you see that? It wasn't that like, no, we cannot let the gospel go out. We must quench it now. You know, it's it's like, do do you know what you're doing? You're making good money. You got a lot of potential in this company, and you're going to leave this. Day. What what is wrong with you? So they're thinking like Jesus's mom. You know, you, you're out of your mind. They thought that's what's best for me. Well, if I don't have godly counsel around around me, it's going to be really hard not to listen to them. When we have siblings, you know, they're going to they're gonna try to distract us and, and all sorts of stuff. To make. We need one another around us to help us press on to good works. And the, the worst thing that any of us could do, any believer anywhere, is to get isolated, to conform to the world, which will inevitably happen, to surround yourself by a non-believing family and non-believing friends, because you will, you will have no counsel of wisdom around you. And the devil grins. And we may be genuine believers. But we walk neutered in our faith. Do you see this? So look, look at this. Jesus is saying, his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they said to him, they sent to him and called. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said, your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? 
And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever. I love that word there. Whoever. Who's this open to? Who does Jesus say can be his brother and sister? Anyone. Whoever. Whosoever. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You do understand he's not saying by doing the will of God, you become. Do you see that? It's very important. It's, he's saying whoever does the will of God is. It's evidence. I put a plant in the ground. If the plant is a seed in the ground, if the seed is alive, it grows, right? Jesus isn't saying if you grow, you're a living seed. He says you're a living seed you will grow. Do you see that? So, so how does this practically, and think out loud with me here if you will, how does this practically affect how we live with one another? Does this mean that we're, we're not to have any interaction with our earthly families or non-believers? We just like live in some sort of closed commune with one another? Oh, heck no. Is that what this is saying? No, because we need to be out in the world. Does that mean that we're all going to get along with each other at the same level, enjoy one? What are you shaking your head no looking at me? That we're all going to enjoy one another's company the same way. And, and we, you know, this is a family thing. You've got to spend the same amount of time with everybody in your family. Isn't that how you do at the holidays? You get 20 minutes with aunt so-and-so and 20 minutes with... No, that's not what this is saying. This is saying that you know why we're here, not by chance. We're here under the sovereignty of God because you and I have a mutual family relationship through the blood of Christ. And as such... If one of us has a need, and I don't care what that need is, that could be a tree fell down. Let's say a tree fell down in Diane's yard. I got that. <laughs> okay. If a tree falls down in Diane's yard and Diane can't get the tree out of her yard, and I have plans to go and do something, but my sister has a tree down in her yard, do you know what I need to do? Yeah. Cancel what's not so important and get the tree out of my sister's driveway. Do you see that? The Therein lies the problem. <laughs> and this is something I think we could all really work at well. We like to keep problems to ourselves, don't we? we? We don't want to share that we're concerned about something. That, and guys, I happen to know for fact that over the past seven or eight years, there have been numerous situations where someone has struggled in a certain area and kept it secret. And over time of keeping it secret, has grown distant. They've tried to solve it all the wrong ways, and they're no longer here today. Now, I'm not saying they're not a believer. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying that slowly you walk outside of the will of God and you will run into trouble. Some of those problems were financial. Some of those problems were relational. Some of those problems were just getting sucked into what the world had to offer, but doing it secretly so nobody knew. You see, here's the thing. You and I have to live relationally with one another to, to have credibility with one another. If you don't know me well and you don't trust me, well, we have to keep this superficial relationship going. So, Pastor, how are you? Oh, I'm phenomenal. You want to know how I am, honestly? This week I'm a little freaked out because Tuesday I've got to go in for a little, a little procedure. And they use anesthesia. So you want to know I have a weak faith. That freaks me out. So you know what? Y'all can be praying for me on Tuesday. Now, I shouldn't share that with you because all of a sudden I'm not a super apostle anymore, right? You want to know how I'm doing with my family? I'm doing well with my family. My wife and I, we get along well, praise the Lord. My kids are good. They're obedient kids. They seem to have an increasing love for the Lord. But, but are there times that, that I get concerned for them? There are times I don't parent perfectly. There are times I don't love my wife perfectly. So you know what? You could pray for me well. And let's say that I have a struggle in a certain area, and just coincidentally, one of you has already worked through that struggle. 
Wouldn't that be wonderful if you could share with me how God worked through that? We could minister to one another. Do you see that? Let's say someone ha- has, has a need like a tree. Uh, do you have a tree down in your property? You can cut, but you, I don't know where I came up with that. But if we have a need, I, I, I give you an example, and I'll give you a past example. I know someone who was struggling financially, but wouldn't say anything. Wouldn't say a thing. So nobody knew. And do you know what happened? This person tried to solve all their problems all their, on their own. It did not go well. Okay? Guys, listen. We're family. And as family, we're going to care for family. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, I was at the casino and I got a $20,000 debt pony up, brothers and sisters. No, sir, that's not what I'm saying. If you're at the casino and you got a big old debt, do you know what I receive? Well, I think of it this way. If I get a phone call from my sister, she says, John, I made some dumb choices. I, I got debt out the wazoo. Can you help? Well, I don't have cash to help you out on that, sis, but let's go talk to mom and dad, right? And you know what your family does if they're able? Here. Let's pay off your debt, and let's figure out how you then pay back. You know, not an 18%, let's drop the interest even, because that's a family type of thing, isn't it? I think we can find that in here. And we help one another walk in obedience. Now, you know what happens as we do this? The world looks at us, and they say, what, what is wrong with you? What do you, what do you, what are you guys, some sort of crazy cult? No, it's not actually a cult, it's a family. What are you talking about? Well, well can I share something with you? Can, can I share with you that, that God himself made me a child of his. And you see, these are my brothers and sisters in the faith. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, and, and by this they will know that you are my disciples. So one of the first hard things is we, we, we're prideful. We don't really feel like we need each other, do we? Right? Second, we're skeptical. We don't really trust one another. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes when, when new people come in, I'm like, all right, what's the angle? Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm like sizing them up. I give this person six months. I don't even know your name. I don't know anything about you. This one, nine months. This one, oh gosh, I hope they don't hang around for the whole year. But <laughs> you know, you, you start, I, we've, I've had, I've, and for the first few years that I was in pastoral ministry, I was getting a hard heart because people are, they were, they're so manipulative and selfish and they don't give a rip about you. And, they, they, and I'm like, oh Lord, I think I might have some of those problems in me too. So instead of, instead of allowing it to harden my heart, I prayed that God would use it to convict me of sin in my own life, to remind me of the fact Jesus doesn't love us because of how well we love him now, does he? Right? So you look at people differently. When we look at one another, as God sees us, it changes how we relate to one another. Third problem is you've never really seen this done, have you? You ever seen a church function as a committed, loving family? You ever, I, I have never experienced that. I've seen people hang out at churches, uh, and then a stage of life changes. They just go somewhere else that fits better. I've seen people have, have conflict at churches with other people, and then they just leave. I've seen churches, people hang around for decades at churches, but never really be loved for or cared for. Well, here, here's my challenge, here's my question, then I'll close my yapper, and we'll see what the, what the Lord wants to do with it. What might happen if, instead of wishing Jesus never said this, we actually understood that he meant everything he said here, that he has a perfect reason behind it, and it's for our good and his glory. What might God do if we mutually committed to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? And that doesn't just have to be in the context of God's Grace Bible Church. Understand that. In the context of any genuine church, we are brothers and sisters in the church universal. Do you see that? Now, 
I do think, and I can make an argument for this, that there's a difference in how you care for those in your, in your local assembly with which you gather as opposed to those in more distant assemblies. Okay? There's an intimacy of relationship by proximity there. But what might God do if we lived in such a manner where if the people that, that we depended on, that we trusted, that we cared for the most were not those that we have a physical family relationship with, but those who we've been knit together by the blood of Christ? What if family truly came first, as Jesus calls it, to? But which family does he say comes first? Do you see that? Now, there's a balance here, right? That, that doesn't mean, well, you know, well, you turn your back on, on your earthly family. You know, the kids go off to college, sorry, church first, you know? Holidays, no sorry, not with you anymore, yeah! But then you're stuck with this one, and who knows how you guys would be at the holidays. But what if we put our trust in the counsel of one another in Christ before the counsel of those people there? What if we laid, our, laid ourselves in a position where we became mutually dependent on one another? You see, the church in Acts wasn't a perfect church, was it? They had all sorts of problems and stuff, but you know one thing they did well? They recognized they were brothers and sisters in the Lord. They knew they could care for one another. They depended upon one another. This was not a communal lifestyle. But it says in scriptures, you read Acts, all the needs of the brothers and sisters were met. Do you know that? What might happen if we truly walked in obedience? R.C. Sproul, who, uh, who I thoroughly enjoy as a, as a theologian, he's also a, um, a pastor down in Florida. He says, the arrival of the kingdom of God changes human relationships. Those who oppose its progress, whether mothers or brothers, must be left. Those in the kingdom become a person's closest associates, nearer and dearer than any other. I think he hits it spot on. Because you and I are able to truly love one another and help encourage one another on to the good works that God has prepared for us. We exist not to live in a close community with one another, right? Didn't we talk about this a few weeks ago? We exist to go and seek and save that which is lost. But we need to work collaboratively as a body to do that well for the glory of God. So, I, I've told you this story too many times, and, and there, there are stages where I want to kick myself in the butt for saying it. But when this church was, was begun, I felt the Lord impress upon me very, very seriously that this is where you are to serve. This is your family that you commit to. And I told you that, I, you know, I, I'm not going to disappear on you for, for a better job offer out there. I'm not going to leave because times get harder. You know, that, that church in Florida offers me the six-figure package and the nice house on the coast and pass to Disney. Now, they throw in a corporate jet, you all might want to try to grab hold of me because I'll be running. But, but this is my family. And I see too often how easy it is to just walk away from your family when it gets hard. And I see that in the world, and I see that in the church. What if we had that comfort level? You know what? I, I grew up in a healthy, healthy nuclear family. My mom and dad they had a good relationship. Perfect? Not perfect, but good. My dad, he was a provider. He, he made good money. We never had to worry about the bills. My mom was home. We got home from school. Mom was there at the door to greet you. She put snack on the table, asked how your day was. We had concerns. We'd go and talk to our parents because I knew my mom and dad loved me. I was fortunate to never have a moment in my life when I wondered, will mom or dad leave? Am I ever going to be physically hurt by one of my parents? Am I ever going to go hungry? I never had these problems. I had a mom and a dad who, who praised God, that they, they, they gave me a safe, comfortable, nurturing, supportive environment. Right? Most people don't get that, so we have a skepticism around it. I knew, as I know today, 
that that's my mom and my dad and even my sister. Praise God, I have a nice relationship with her. But one day, unless God so works, no longer do I have that relationship with my mom and my dad and my sister. Because when we pass over onto the other side of eternity, unless they become brothers and sisters in the Lord, that relationship becomes severed. You see, I want to have that relationship with them through the blood of Christ. I do. But you and I, through Christ, we're stuck with one another forever, aren't we? And we have the ability to truly care for one another because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So my friends, what I'm saying is this. The church is designed to be the family of Christ, where the, the representation of the body of Christ to the world is he sits at the Father's right hand. And our job is to, is to get over ourselves, live for the glory of God, and care for one another. So how does that happen? Over time. Daily steps of obedience. Reaching out and loving one another. And I'll press you and I'll encourage you to this. Ask each other what's going on. Take the inconvenience of 10 minutes out of your day. How you doing? Call one another up. Grab lunch. You guys got your book club. You know the, the folks who've disappeared for a little bit? Call them up. I miss you. What's going on? And you know, I'll tell you what's going on with some people. is not good. It's not, it's not a godly reason. So what do you do with that? You let them know, hey, I love you too much to watch you stagnate in that. But that's not simply the pastor's job. That's how brothers and sisters live. Encourage one another. You know, Renee, I, I got to tell you, you, you're an encouragement to me, right? I, I can encourage Renee. I'm praying for you. Ask one another to pray for one another. Little by little as we do this, we start to get knit closer and closer together for the glory of God. So when you look at me, do you know who I am? I'm your brother. When I look at you, you know who you are? You're my brother and sister. And Jesus says, let's live like we ought. So do you wish Jesus never said that? Do you wish that I wasn't your brother and you have to spend forever with me? Probably a little bit on this side of eternity. But just like my sister isn't my sister by chance, she's my sister under the sovereign control of God who so was pleased that she and I would be born of the same mother. God so chose that you and I would be born anew into the same family of God through Christ for his glory. And he gave us each unique gifts to be used collaboratively. Let's pray. Father, I must confess that certainly not in this local assembly, but at times I run into certain brothers and sisters in Christ who I just don't like that much. And I'm sure there are some who don't like me very much. Lord, I, I pray your forgiveness for that. I know that the cause is pride and that I'm seeing your children through sinful eyes. Lord, I know that, that I won't get along equally well with all of my siblings, but I know I have an obligation to them, to love them, to encourage them, to pray for them, to support them. And I pray in the context of this church family, God, that you, Holy Spirit, would work powerfully in us, that you would remove any pride from us, that you would help us develop a, a level of, of love with one another based on a mutual trust in you, knowing that you are in control of all things. God, we live in a dark and fallen and depressing and discouraging world at times. But I pray we might live such good lives among those people that they might come to glorify you on the day of Christ Jesus. I know that that can't happen unless they hear the good news of the gospel. But that will be enhanced, Lord, by our lives of obedience, by our lives of faith and trust, hope and joy before them. Help us be a church known for caring for and loving one another 
being a welcoming place that looks forward to many family members being added through adoption. God, help us have a comfort level with making our needs known to one another and desiring to care for the needs of others, whatever they may be. And Lord Jesus, I pray that in so doing, we may see you work powerfully in and through us for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.